Welcome to Indy's Real Estate Gurus. We're recording today at the Advisors Mortgage Group Studio right here in downtown Carmel. And I'm Rick Redman, your hardworking mortgage guy. I've been in mortgages in real estate for over 34 years. I've helped over 5,200 folks finance their homes. My team and I believe in custom tailored loans, not the one size fits all approach. We believe there is a right mortgage for you. And we believe we are the team to deliver it. And I'm Ian Arnold, part of Rick's hardworking mortgage team. I've been in the financial industry for 15 years, helping customers rebuild their credit so they can get the best interest rates possible and also helping you secure uh, your overall wealth for the future. Uh, I have a passion in helping you pay off your home early because that's what I like to do. Uh, all right, Rick. Yep. And for the most up-to-date information on Indy's real estate market or mortgage rates, Go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317-672-1938. That's 317-672-1938. And today we have Garrett Valu. Yes, sir. Did I do it right? Yes, you did. Oh, it's a, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. And that was a little tougher last name. So yeah. I'll actually give you pro props on that I, one. I, I deserve them. Thank you. I've heard everything. So you did good. <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're with Carpenter Realtors. Yes, sir. Right? And you're, you, I know you do a phenomenal job or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> okay. So thanks for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Now, one of the things we like to start with is kind of hear your background. What did you do before real estate? Could you kind of give us a, 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 a the story behind, you know, your real estate career? Yeah, for sure. I can't say it's a very exciting story, but I'll tell you <laughs> what it is. Um, you know, I actually am not a Hoosier native. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, we uh, a little bit well, a little bit west of St. Louis in the country, so I'm a country boy at heart. Okay. Um, and uh, background education wise, I was actually homeschooled my entire life. Uh, that's a, a kind of a fun part of my education and. Uh, Went to Bible college um, after I finished with that, was there for just a year, decided that it wasn't my uh, my choice to stay there long term, and and uh, came home to St. Louis, started working in, um, actually, I got a job at Sam's Club. Um, okay. Yeah, the, the goal was going into aviation. Uh, so my passion has always been aviation. I was planning on going back to flight school after I left the Bible college, and um you know, I, I found that life took me a different direction. Uh, a big part of my life is um, I'm a man of faith and trying to seek the Lord's guidance on my life. And some different circumstances in life started directing me away from um, aviation, actually. Something that I had had a passion growing up for was business. And I didn't really know exactly how that would play out in my life, but I was always open to the idea of being a business owner. I've had family members who are business owners and really looked up to them and what they did. So some opportunities came up while I was in St. Louis, actually working at Sam's and getting promoted up into management into Sam's. Um, I got an opportunity to work for a small company there. It was a really cool furniture company. They were consignment, upscale consignment furniture company, very small. They were just starting a second location. And I got an opportunity to work with them for a while, and that was my first taste of small business. And that was a really cool um, part of early, um, I would say, work history and some experience I gained. And really doing that for a short amount of time there, I really realized that small business was where I wanted to be eventually. I didn't know what exactly that would look like long term, but small business was definitely going to be my passion. Uh, I got the opportunity. I was um, I was dating a girl from college that lived in Indy at the time, and I decided that I wanted to be closer to her and move here to Indy. So I got an opportunity to get transferred with Sam's Club here to a position in the Greenwood store and continuing the management route there. And I was going to use that as my springboard into whatever... Um, 
whatever life would take me as far as business. My okay. goal was to get into business somehow. And um, I got here. I was looking into some different avenues. I think it was the week I was here signing paperwork to get transferred over. I was kind of scrolling LinkedIn as just anything that I could find that looked like it was going to start building that passion of business. And I saw some advertisement for um, a real estate agent with Carpenter Realtors out of the Avon West office. The manager, Doug Anderson, was uh, advertising that position. I just clicked it and said, hey, can we have an interview? I didn't. I, I had had some interest earlier in life of real estate. I had seen some real estate agents growing up. I thought it was kind of cool what their job was. I had talked to them recently and said, hey, what do you think about real estate? And they're like, yeah, you should get into it. So I had that interview with him really well, realized that I thought that we'd be a really good fit together, really liked his attitude in life and business. And I just, I just took a leap of faith and said, hey, this is what I want to do when I move here. So I moved here, uh, springboarded from Sam's. I worked there. I moved here in 2019 in June and uh, worked at Sam's for quite a while. Um, got my license, real estate license in 2020 and uh, got married in 2020, bought a house in 2020. 2020 was a big a year big for year. me. It was a huge year. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so anyway, but I, I used that to kind of, um, I, I got my license, like I said, in 2020. I stayed working at Sam's to support the family and everything. Um, and then we had our first baby in May of 2021. And I decided, you know what, that's going to be my cutoff. I'm going to go full-time in real estate. I'd already sold some houses and felt like I was kind of getting the hang of what I was doing. Definitely hadn't sold enough to think I should have made that <laughs> leap. But, uh, you know, it was a leap of faith that I'm glad I did. And uh, so started growing my business from June of 2021 is when things took off. Um, I had a, had a quick realization that um, I what I thought in real estate was going to happen definitely wasn't the case. I thought it was just going to be an easy, easy job. Uh, not that just way. Get all the money in the world, you know, uh, make make good big bucks, and uh, the business was just going to flock in my lap. And man, I had a had a quick realization that's not the case. Yeah, uh, but we can get into more of that later. But, yeah, yeah that's that way, does it? Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> so, what did you go to? Because you went from a total industry, not even really sales related, mm -hmm. uh, to a point. But how did you even get going? In real estate? Yeah. Yeah. So while I was still kind of doing the part-time real estate thing, I definitely didn't have any clear direction of what I was doing. It was more of, you know, Doug Anderson was awesome. He was kind of teaching me how to at least do part-time real estate at the time because he knew I had a full-time job commitment, but he's like, you just need to talk to people. And that's the biggest thing that's going to resonate with my business in general as I learned and developed this business is talking to people is everything. This is a people business. So at the time when I was working part-time, it was just anyone I ran across at work, even customers, things like that. I'd start right. handing cards to, don't tell Sam's Club. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, uh, and, and I started getting a little bit of business from that. I, I you know, a couple, couple coworkers, I ended up having a couple church people. I, of course, was we're in a small church, but I I, I milked a couple deals out of that, you know. And, um, but talking to people was really the beginning. I didn't have the biggest I think struggle uh, that I that I faced in real estate from the very beginning here is just not knowing anyone. Right. I knew a very small group of people, some coworkers, a few people at church, and that's about it. And then my wife's family and. Um, not having that book of business is definitely um, a little hurdle, but I had to quickly overcome it uh, through some creative methods and really just still comes back to talking to people, but I've had to build that that book of business ground up. Yeah, it always takes that. No matter, you know, obviously it's a little harder if you don't have a, a big group, a yeah. sphere of influence here. But I, I always find people, and you may find this, that people kind of cut off their sphere more than they should. In other words... People in St. Louis, and you know lots of people in St. Louis, may have people that are going to be moving to Indiana, and you can help them. But they don't want to – they think, oh, I shouldn't contact those people. But mm -hmm. the reality is 
Should they contact those people? 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's a really cool opportunity, especially in Carpenter. We have a really cool organization, beings that we're part of um, an organization that allows us to have a good referral network, um, as well as some other organizations that I've become a part of. I've, I have partnered with agents from all over the country and all over the world that I'm able to refer people to. I've actually done, uh, had a couple friends from St. Louis and even acquaintances from here in Indy that had family in St. Louis that I've been able to refer uh, deals to. And they had, there's an amazing agent out there that takes care of St. Louis deals for me. So yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really cool opportunity to help people, not just in Indiana, but really all over the place. And that's a benefit too, because it, you know they're going to somebody who knows what they're doing. They're 100%. a high quality real estate right. agent a guru that you know is going to take care of the, the your friend, your client, uh, and because they're representing you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many agents to choose in any any market you're in. I mean, what are we here in Indiana? There's over 9,000 agents. That's right. a hard to pick one of the 9,000 or more than that. St. Louis is the same thing. And for me to be able to know what I'm looking for in an agent that, to help my friends there is huge when I can call my friends and say, hey, this person's going to do what I would do if I was your agent right. to really help you get your goals done. So, and uh, it's exciting to be able to have those people and resources. Yep. So like you said, there's roughly, let's say, 9,000 real estate agents <laughs> in here uh, in Indy. So how would you or how do you try to separate yourself uh, when you're when you're trying to talk to a client? What do you do differently? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would like to say that the things I'm going to say I do to separate myself are just my own invention, but I can't take the credit. Um, you know, I've had some <laughs> just really, take it. Yeah, <laughs> I've had some really good mentors. Like I said, Doug Anderson, uh, Vicky Peters over there, as well as I I got involved with the Mike Ferry Coaching Organization and hired a, a real estate coach pretty early on. I realized I needed some really hard coaching to make this business work, and uh, so through those things, I've learned several things that I've implemented and have really made my business successful. So I would say first off is. I've transitioned my business a lot to really trying to sustain my business through listings. So I will, of course, work with buyers. I love working with buyers. But I feel like where I have really built a lot of my skills are working with listings. And so I would say a lot of this conversation will go that direction. Um, I feel like that's the one that I've built my business on. And so kind of list to last is the mentality I've learned. And when it comes to setting myself apart is when I start that listing process, um, I think I do things very different than a lot of agents do. So first off, we have a conversation with whoever call, calls me or I call them. They say they want to sell a home. I'm going to first have a very um, strong conversation of a lot of questions I'm going to ask them. I'm a question-based salesman. I, I try to find out what they want and to see if I can help them. So find out their motivations, find out if it's a good time for them to do the moves they want to make. Um, so once I have those questions in order, then I set that appointment for the listing appointment, I'm going to be dropping off a pre-listing packet. Um, I want to keep our meetings as short as possible. They, they have a busy life. They don't want to be sitting all night talking to a real estate agent. Uh, so I actually put everything that we're going to talk about ahead of time in a pre-listing packet. Um, so the comps already in there, the comparative market analysis, you've got a net sheets already in there, you've got contracts, everything's in there. I put it in the night before I say, hey, take a look at this and we'll meet tomorrow. Uh, when we meet, uh, and then the one thing that I have in there that I really think sets me apart is I have a listing plan of action. So one thing I realize is a lot of agents, I feel like go at this business a little bit willy nilly and not exactly having a concise streamlined method of doing real estate. So I wanted to, as a, early in the business, start a, a real method of how every listing I was gonna take, I was gonna make sure I sold it. And so I set up this what's called a 21 point listing plan of action. It's a written plan that I provide in that pre-listing packet. And it lets them know, have the confidence even before I get there, hey, this is the active things he's gonna actually do to sell a home. Because I feel like there's a lot of passive ways that we are um, using in our business to sell a home. 
you know, of course, putting it on the MLS is a huge resource. There's a lot of agents with a lot of um, clients that they have portals set up to be able to see those homes. And that's a that's an amazing resource. I cannot downplay that. But that's only one aspect of how a house can get sold. And I using all those passive resources like the MLS and syndicating and syndicating to all those other websites, um, I use those passive things, but then I also take a much more active approach to selling real estate. And that is laid out in that listing plan of action. I do a lot of um do a lot of prospecting calls. So when I take a listing, they'll see that I talk to all the neighbors around them, find out who they may know who wants to move into that area. You wouldn't believe how many times a neighbor knows someone who'd want to move there. Um, So I take that approach as far as talking to the neighbors. I talk to my sphere, let them know about it, see who they know. And I do reverse prospecting. I'm talking to the agents that have portals set up um, for houses that fit in that see what they might have as far as an, as far as a buyer who'd want to want to see the house. So I take a much more active approach. That listing plan of action, I think, sets myself apart. And then the other thing is when I go in the listing appointments, um, again, a lot more questions. I really am trying to find out what their heart of the issue is, not just me imploding on them or putting on them what I think needs to happen there. Uh, but a big part of it is actually really just educating. I take an education approach. I, when the comparative market analysis comes out, um, I really try to very step-by-step walk them through that process and educate them to what their home is worth. There's a lot of confusion there. I find, because I, I spent a lot of my business on expired listings. Uh, that's how I bit my, built my business. And what's interesting is when I walk in the door on a lot of expired listings, there's frustration there. There's a lot you got to get through to help them realize, okay, the goal was still to move. And let's make that happen. But what I find is when we get to pricing, because pricing usually had a big issue of why that house expired for sale. Um I find out that when we get down to looking at the comps, I'll say, okay, here's the comps. What do you think the house is worth based upon these comps? And usually their answer is pretty close to what I'm thinking. It's based upon the data. And I'll say, okay, so how did we start where we did originally when this listed? Because we're way different now. And the answer usually is they didn't see comps originally or they just the agent just walked in the door and said, here's how much your house is worth. And they tried to sell and it wasn't the right. And, and the, the seller wasn't running that train. Um, and so I try to make it to where we're educating them, making them make the decisions and going from there. If somebody would like to get one of those packets for them and meet with you, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, they can give me a call. So my number is 317-746-0616. They can also text me at that number, 317-746-0616. Uh, they're also willing to... Uh, will, they can also email me at <laughs> oh, tongue tie. Uh, that was easy to say. Yeah. <laughs> at uh, GVALU, that's spelled G V A L E U, at callcarpenter.com. And to get a hold of Ian or I, go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317 672 1938. 317 672 Thanks so much. I mean, this information is phenomenal. I think you've given, especially on how you do a listing. Mm-hmm. It's a 21 point plan mm-hmm. that helps that, that walks it down the path. And aren't, I mean, there are agents that their biggest plan is to put it on the MLS. Mm-hmm. And not that it doesn't work. There's a lot of agents, but isn't Absolutely. it's probably why a lot sometimes now, Different markets are different. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's all you have to do, right? Right, right. There are markets that way. However, does it hurt to do all the work that you do in order to um, sell a house, even in a very hot market? Yeah, there is there is a lot of work to be done. And I would say in, in a hot market, you know, a house is probably going to sell 
as long as it's reasonably priced, it's probably going to sell no matter what. But a lot of factors can come into that depending upon how much activity I spent really trying to market it hard. Could be maybe they get a few less offers. Uh, maybe the terms aren't quite as much as they would like. So my goal is even though, yeah, when we're in an amazing market like 2021, yeah, offers are going to come in. My goal is now, okay, how are we going to make it the best offers? How are we going to make my seller the absolute most happy in this transaction? Um, and so using some extra ways to market the property and get that property out there to more buyers is my goal. And do you use any social media or what do you use to help advertise that property? So I definitely do. Um, Carpenter is awesome in that they provide a lot of that stuff already prepackaged, ready to go in my toolkit that I have with them. So whenever I have a listing, it immediately is going to go out on what's called Boost by HomeSpotter. Um, they boost that out to all kinds of social media outlets and stuff. So that's all happening in the background. Um, so we do do social media. I can't say that I've built a lot of my business upon social media, but I use that as a resource. Um, it's another passive way that we get the home out there. So absolutely. I mean, but that's one of the nice things is about social media and the way they do advertising and everything. You don't have to have, let's say, 100,000 followers yeah. or friends. I mean, you could do advertising and it just goes out to anybody you don't know just in a certain absolutely. area. It's absolutely amazing to see because I get the reports back on those boostings and I'll see, okay, how many viewers he's got. And I mean, it's thousands upon thousands of views over just like a because anytime we do an open house, uh, it'll we'll do an open house boost out there to social media. And just over a two day period, there will be, I mean, sometimes over 10,000 views on that ad, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. And it's, it's obviously one of the pieces that you can use. 100%. What about the fact that you've been in the business a while, you've done extremely well. And so you know, a lot of agents, does it help to have that network of real estate agents when you're going to list a home? It does. It does. That's one of the things that is also on that um, that 21-point plan that I use that it talks about how that I do a lot of agent-to-agent marketing. So in my office, I've got uh, we've got a very powerful office over at Avon West, some really powerful listing and buying agents. And so that's one of the best resources I have to immediately be able to tell them about these listings that are coming or um, as soon as they hit the market. And then also the other agents that I that I deal with, letting them know about these listings. So absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've always heard it was. And, and I when I was in New home sales, we used to have, there's an agent that we worked with a lot. And for some reason, he always sold the houses very quickly, yep. the specs that we'd put up. And that was his number one way of doing it. He's a network. He was a network. Yeah, yeah, he had absolutely. a huge network. Yeah. So what would you say your superpower or superpowers are? It's hmm. a good question. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about just educating. And I don't know if it's a superpower, but it's just something that I've learned that's worked the best for me is not trying to railroad a transaction, but just asking questions and giving some education. Uh, like I said earlier on the on the expired listing stuff, there's a lot of educating that needs to be done there, a lot of finding out what the motivations still are. So um, education as far as that goes. And then we because we've talked about a lot about listings, we'll go to the buyer side because I do work with a lot of buyers. Um, education is really important there when it comes to winning a deal, especially in these crazy years that we've had in the last couple of years in a really hot seller's market. Um, education to letting them know, hey, these are what it's going to take for you to win this house. Um, my doing some background research on finding out what things the seller wants from talking to the list agent, knowing the market, knowing the numbers really well. Because something that I was going to uh, talk about earlier and I forgot to was how important it is for when you're choosing an agent is to choose one that knows their numbers, knows the business, knows the market conditions that they're in. Because when I'm taking a buyer out to a house um, and they want to write an offer on it, they're looking at me to tell them, hey, what do I need to write on this contract to get this house? We love this house. 
We saw three other people walk out of these houses when we walked in that were right. just looking at it. This is really scary. And it, it's it, and I take that responsibility very big that I need to be able to say, hey, this is what I think is going to put you in the best position to win this house. And a lot of that comes down to me knowing what the market is at the time. Uh, something that I saw really interesting um, back in 2022, we know that kind of mid-2022, we had a major change in the market. Yes. Interest rates started hiking. Everything, everyone kind of backed up and got scared all of a sudden of what the market was going to be. And so we saw listings all of a sudden sitting on the market for once. You know, they weren't selling in two, three days. I had listings that, for me, it looked like they were sitting a long time when they were on the market 30 days. Right. Um, you know, it's crazy, <laughs> historically speaking. But, you know, sellers are starting to get scared about 30 days. And what was interesting was you would have some agents that would still come in on those listings that were on there 30, 45 days. And we'd have no offers for that whole time. We'd have some showings and things. But then they would come and write as an offer like it was peak 21. And they'd put cash over appraisal clauses and they'd put uh, waived inspections and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, of course, on the list side, my seller's absolutely elated. Right. But I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's interesting that 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 buyer, unfortunately, is probably doing a little more than's needed to get this house. Right. Basically because probably that agent isn't super aware of what's going on in right. the market. So um, we've got to be we've got to be knowing our numbers, and that, that would be I would say something that I is a superpower in that I really focus on those numbers. I'm an analytical person, unfortunately, and I I look at the numbers way too much. Yeah. Well, you know, to that question, you've kind of answered what I'm going to ask in mm -hmm. that, but I, I, I hopefully a little bit more in depth. If you had somebody, for whatever reason, you can't help, you can't re refer somebody to them, you, and they want to list their house wherever it happens to be. And they're inter going to interview real estate agents. Yes. What should they look for in that agent beyond the the analytical piece, the knowing their numbers, things like that? Is there anything else they should look for? Questions they should ask to make sure they're learning um, who this agent is, so they they hire the right person. Hundred percent. So, a couple things. Uh, one would be, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you want to at least know that the that that agent has a plan to sell the home. Um, that they're not going to just do the bare minimum. So look for someone that's got some sort of plan. Ask some questions. What are you going to do to sell my home? And uh, and and hope that that agent has a real answer there. Um, other things are I would recommend interviewing agents. Um, don't just have a one phone call and say, okay, you're hired. I mean, I would love that. I mean, I, that's that's awesome when that happens. But I think for the sake of a client, they need to make sure they're they're going to work with someone, one that they mesh with on just a personal level. Getting in front of someone is really important, knowing, hey, can we work together? Um, and then also knowing what their process is. And that really goes to one of my pet peeves in the business is, you know, everyone knows a real estate agent. And sometimes those real estate agents, maybe, you know, if I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seller, my aunt's a real estate agent. And that aunt may be an amazing real estate agent. And great, that'd be a person to use. But maybe that aunt hasn't sold a property in the last three years. But you feel like you have a duty to still hire her for the business. And Yes, she would appreciate that, but is that going to do you the best on your sale of your home? And so even when you're doing friends and family, even though that can be a great resource, still interview them. Still make sure they have a plan um, because you would hate to be the one that goes on the market and expires just because you hired an agent that wasn't exactly tight in the market knowing what they're doing. All right. So let's get to know Garrett a little bit more. Okay. So I'm going to take away your phone, tell you you can't work for 24 hours. Oh, boy. What do we catch you out there doing? <laughs> Besides, be, besides curled up in the fetal position because you don't have your phone. <laughs> what do we catch you out there doing for fun? Well, I love my family. Um, my wife, we have our daughter and we have one on the way coming and uh, she's coming in September. So I would say that probably at minimum, just hanging out at the house. Um, we don't get a lot of that time, to be honest. And uh, we go take hikes a lot. We love hiking. Um, the the two-year-old is now getting to the point she can go do some stuff. So 
Um, definitely hanging out with family. And then if it was just me and we left the family at home, I, I, I uh, yeah, he sounds excited. Whoa, about whoa, whoa! This. Hey, hey, hey! He has a wife, a daughter, and what I just heard was another one on the way. He needs guy time. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I'd probably. I, I'm a, a huge uh, sports shooter. I love shooting. I'd be at the shooting range probably. Uh, I love biking. Um, I'm a leather worker. I'd like leather working. So I don't know. There's too many things I would try to fit in. But uh, are you saying I don't have to do housework during that time or honeydew lists or? Look, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. do any of that. No, no, none of that. <laughs> okay, so you said you work with leather and stuff. Yeah. So what's what? What would you be your prize that you've made? Oh, let's see. Um, made a holster I really like. Again, I said I'm in the sports shooting community. Um, let's see. I, I think that's probably. I, I really like that holster I made. So yeah. So what do you what what do you shoot? Um, handgun, okay. rifle, uh, skeet shoot. Stuff what's like your that. gun of choice? None of choice. Um, I really like the, just for, you know, I'm a, I'm a proponent of uh, concealed carry and stuff. Six hour P365 is a great gun to, I carry every day with me. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just curious. I, I like Kimber. I have a. Oh, I love Kimber. Micro great Kimber. Gun. I, to carry. One day when I'm as successful as you, I can afford them. <laughs> <laughs> you got till next year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you said you bike. What, I do. Uh, motorcycle, bicycle? No, no, bicycle. Okay. Yeah, I like road biking. Okay. It wouldn't look like I've done it recently. I've worked too much. <laughs> I, I hey. love to ride. I ride yeah. in the summer as much as I can. Yeah. I'm not a cold weather rider. I'm a warm weather weather rider. So I was I ride to work once in a while, but really? yeah, but it's it's been so tough because the weather's either freezing in the morning and then good at night or yeah. so and I'm sometimes kind of lazy, so I, I don't. I hear but, that. But, oh, racquetball. I love racquetball. If anyone knows how to play racquetball, hit me up. I'm looking for racquetball players. Are you? Are yeah. you really good? I can play. Okay, that's good. Because <laughs> I'm not. I, I know I'm not a racquetball player, but I know I've, I've played with people who are really good, and it's almost yeah. impossible to play with. It's funny. It just seems like it's a dying sport. I can't ever find anyone that knows no, how to oh, play really? racquetball. Pickleball is what you need to get into. I, no, no, not, not yet. I, I not see yet. the old age people out there, and I'm like, should I? Should I? It could be kind of fun, but... Um, but it's too intimidating. We yeah. were on a, my wife and I were on a cruise this last, uh, in February and we had never played pickleball before. And, a, and an older couple that was on the boat convinced us to come learn to play pickleball with us and they kicked our tail. So it's too intimidating. <laughs> Pickleball's fun. Just so you know, yeah, it is. And it's it not is just for older. People. No, it is not. But, okay. but when you pull up to the park, who do you see playing? Is they the older, aggressive? I'm just, I'm not saying you shouldn't be aggressive, but I'm just saying <laughs> the reason is is because you can play as an older person. You can play pickleball where yeah. it's very difficult to go play tennis anymore. 100%. Yes, and you know it's just it's, it's a cool easier. sport. I definitely like learning. It was like I, I understand the the appeal. Yeah, I get okay. it. We're playing it. All right. So if somebody's wanting to go either play racquetball with you, maybe even go skeet shooting, <laughs> and then talk about real <laughs> estate. A skeet shooter. I, I like yeah. Okay. Skeet, skeet shooter. Yeah, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything that goes bang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that. How would they get a hold of you? Well, they can call me at 317-746-0616, or they can text me at that same number, 317-746-0616. And to get a hold of Ian or I, it's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. You can contact, you can get all our contact information there and contact us from there, or you can call 317 672 
1938. That's 317-672-1938. All right. And now we'll do the question of the week. And the question of the week is sponsored by, hey, Rick and I, the hardworking mortgage guys, where we feel that sending constant updates to you and your realtor throughout the loan process is a valuable support because nobody likes to be left in a black hole and we don't allow it here. So if you like the black hole, I'm sorry, we are not the people for you. All right. So what was your first car? What was my first car? Um, a red Toyota Matrix. Oh. And, and he still drives it today. That no, Toyota doesn't go away. <laughs> it is still driving. Yeah. It is still driving. <laughs> his 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 daughter's going to be driving it when she right, drives it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know its longevity. I had a pretty big wreck with it uh, uh, early on. Yeah, did you? It's 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 still moving though. Yeah. Do you do you, do you have a soft spot? Soft part in your heart for that car, or is it just? Yeah, I, I love the car. Okay. Yeah. Is that what's your favorite car you've ever had? Haven't had a lot of cars. Okay. Um, probably that one. Okay. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm a little into cars. So yeah, I, I'm not the car guy. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I drive a Subaru right now. I love my Subaru. All right. Not a car guy. <laughs> <I'll let him laughs> which which Subaru? Uh, Forester. Okay. Yeah. It's great for those country properties. You got to run oh, around yeah. out there. And, yeah. 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 They're, I mean, they're dependable too. They they're are. like the Toyota. They're great, great cars. Love the all wheel drive system. It's a good car. Yeah. So what would you consider one of your most memorable deals? Oh, wow. Um, in that it was a, a problem deal or a good deal? Your choice. I mean, sometimes the problem deals are the fun ones. But. All right. Well, th I think this is a story that I've told that most people get shocked with. Um, you know, I think in this business, you learn to start setting boundaries at some point. Uh, you know, there's the point of you being someone's agent and then Maybe you can go beyond that sometimes too much. And I would say this was once that I went too far and uh, probably helped a little too much, but it's still a fun story. It was my very first listing. Uh, it definitely was excited, man. It was, a, it, was a, it was a big moment in my career. And uh, so three days before the house was supposed to close, this was, um, it was being bought by an investor. And their big thing was the house had to be empty, of course. And uh, but the, the appliances left behind that needed left behind. And uh, three days before, I drove past, saw them moving everything out. I was like, okay, we're, we're on good. Walked inside, said hi. They were moving everything. Great. Went by the next day, um, the day before closing. It happened to be a neighbor's house. It was real convenient to be there. Uh, anyway, so I, I went past the next day just to kind of run through a quick checklist to make sure everything was done. I walk in the door, and the house is still filled with furniture. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out what in the world they moved out the day before. And I'm, I'm sweating because I'm like, uh, I tell the seller, you know, all this has to be gone by like tomorrow at noon. And he's like, well, I don't want any of it. I was like, well, it's all supposed to be gone. I told you it's got to, they're not buying your stuff. And uh, so he's like, well, I don't want any of it. I was like, okay, well then take it to Goodwill. Right. Well, I don't, I don't want to get a U-Haul. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So <laughs> I was like, you really don't want any of it. And you really don't care if you make any money on it. Right. He's like, no, I just want to sell the house and I want to leave it all. I want to not deal with it. So I had the splendid idea of going through the house and taking a picture of every item in the house and putting it on Facebook Marketplace for free. He was cool with that. I was like, maybe we'll see what happens. Well, I tell you what, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Within minutes, my phone is absolutely blowing up. And uh, everybody, I tell you, Indiana Hoosiers must love free stuff <laughs> because um, – the uh, it was blowing up. I'm coming there. Is it available? Is it available? And and I'm like, oh, what have I just opened up? A can of worms. And so I call my wife. I'm like, bring a computer. Come over here. Log onto my Facebook. I need you to help. Because I tell you what, between we we were at that house from 5 p.m. that night until two in the morning. By two wow. in the morning, that house was empty. Yeah, but that's it, that's a lot. But man, think think he didn't have to 
he didn't have to move it. He didn't have to do any of that. It, and it's all gone. That's it was all gone. Yeah, it was all gone. The 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 fun the funniest part of that story was though in the end, throughout working that whole day looking at that house, helping him with this stuff, I totally missed the fact that when they did move the day before, they took the refrigerator that was supposed to be there and they and they took it across town. And I realized it like two hours before possession was supposed to be given over. And I was like, where's your fridge? And he's like, it's in Danville. I'm like, no, it's got to be here. So um, he was a little uncooperative. And so at this point, I was determined this house was going to sell. So I went and rented the U-Haul, picked up the, the fridge wow. and brought it back and hooked it back up. Wow. Yeah. Don't don't expect me to do this on the next listing no. ever again. So is that somewhat normal? Like something like that happens, like people leave stuff or... Because when I bought my house, the only reason I asked is the guy at the closing table, he goes, hey, look, I got some stuff still in the garage. Uh, you, I got the garage door open. I'll put it in the mailbox. I just, I, we're, as soon as we're done here, we're going right there to pick that up and then we'll be done. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, my mind thought was like, yeah, you, yeah, you're all right. Just go ahead and do that. And I'll, I'll be, I'll be there in about two hours. So I would say it is pretty common. Even like I, I just closed one on Friday. That was the same thing. I, they had said everything was done. And then I show up and closing like, Oh, we got a few more things. We got to go get them. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's overwhelming when you move. It's funny how many things start coming out of the closets. You're like, I don't know. I had that. And then all of a sudden it's just a lot to move. And it's common that some stuff gets left behind. We try our very hardest to make sure everyone's happy with what's gone and not, but yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It's the longer you've been in a house, the more stuff you tend to have. It's, it's amazing how much stuff you can have. But so there's, I know there's something called um, off market real estate, off market homes. Mm -hmm. Is that something you, deal with do you ever and i guess it's maybe i should explain what i'm asking maybe it's a different than what you're thinking I, homes that are people want to sell but they don't actually have them on the market or maybe mm -hmm. they do maybe maybe they're for sale by owners you know what i'm talking well about? there's okay so two sides of that i guess um Part of it would be, I would say that would be a, a little bit of a trick question for me okay. because, you know, we have we have ethics we have to follow and sign off on with MyBoard and everything. And one is that we don't do what's called pocket listings. You okay. know, we can't right. really have a listing but not share it with the rest of the market through the MLS system or things like that. So we do have to be pretty careful on the standards of practice we take. Now, thankfully, Carpenter, we put a clause in our in our further conditions that allows us to at least, even before a house goes on MyBoard, we're able to do um, a little bit of like through our chatter system, like a day before or whatever. I think it, I don't know exactly how it works, but we can share it that way. But overall, it's got to be on my board. And it's got to be out to the market. Um, we can't do pocket listings. There are for sell by owners definitely are a thing. And I, I list for sell by owners quite a bit. Um, it's just the same process we follow. If I go and list the house, I have to have it on the MLS within a certain amount of days Right. to out to the market. It's got to be fair to everybody. What about if you knew somebody wanted to sell their house, but they don't want to list it? Yeah. So like if I knew it, I don't have an actual listing contract with them. Yeah, for sure. I have it in the back of my head. And if I run into a buyer that I'm like, oh, that would fit really well for, there's situations where I'll do what's called a one-time showing agreement and they're allowed. So I can just say, hey, I'll tell my buyer, hey, I have this property that they th they're thinking about selling. They'd be willing to let you come take a look at it. We could maybe do a deal there. And everyone signs a one-time showing agreement for them to be able to see it. And yeah, we can, yeah. We can do that. It doesn't, but, I mean, just, it doesn't seem to me that necessarily be the greatest way to sell your house. You're, it, you're better off listing it because that opens it up to a lot more people. Yeah. I, I think that the, the power of the market is really big. Um, the only time that I could see that situation is a good, I, I wouldn't say monetarily, it's always great, but sometimes circumstantially it works out well. Maybe, 
maybe they are in a position where um, they've already they, they need to go buy a house, but they're afraid to put their house on the market because it's, they're afraid it's going to sell before they find something. And so they're kind of sitting there in limbo and someone else is sitting there and they can give them as much time as they want after they purchase it for them to live there. So circumstantially, there can be some reasons to do something like that. But overall, if you want to make the most money in your home, it needs to be on the market uh, and yeah. on the MLS system. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, if I can actually go into that a little yeah, bit more, please. because I do for sale by owners have been a large portion of my business. Um, I talk to them, find out exactly what, what their needs are, if they really want to sell, if they're serious. For some reason, you want to believe this, but people put their home up on Zillow sometimes for sale by owner and they don't actually have real motivation to sell. It's odd. But the people that actually want to sell it, um, a lot of times those that I've listed, they ended up making netting more money than they were going to on their own. Um, and that's a very common thing I find. So I've seen that too. For anyone that's listening that, you know, is thinking about doing it for sale by owner, at least interview a realtor, see what the realtor says about the price, try to find out what that would look like. And it's amazing how, when you open that up to the market, how the offers come in and it's just a much better deal in, uh, altogether. And also you don't want to go through the pain of dealing with all the showings because we have that all set up for you guys. Um, you know, we manage the showings, we manage the liability that can come with listing and things like that. So there's a there's a something big to say yeah. about selling with a realtor. And and I know this is an exact is not an exact comparison, but to me, when you list your home, it's and I love auto auctions. So yeah, to yeah. me, it's kind of like an auto auction. It's it's basically you've listed your home, but it's kind of an auction because people can everybody can come look at it. And then everybody can make bids on it. 100%. Now, it's not everybody standing there together, but that's how it works. And I have found that an auction gets you the most money. Yeah. Yeah. Normally. It's it's totally that. Because this is the conversation that I have with sellers all the time when I'm educating them on prices. We do not set the price of our home. Um, we, we set the price of what we want, but it, uh, until a buyer comes and makes an offer on your house, something Eric Pittner always talks about uh, at our office, he, he says the phrase, until someone is had made an offer in your home, the seller is still the highest bidder on the house. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a real thing. So when you're dealing with an off-market property or a for sale by owner property, you may have only a, a very small percentage of buyers in the market actually willing to bid on the auction per se. Right. Versus you open it up to 10,000 realtors and all their clients. Man, that's a huge buyer pool. Right. It makes a huge difference. Yes. The more people you have, you know, and, and the other part and usually of it, they're all pre-qualified. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Usually they're all pre-qualified. You aren't even going to look at the offer anyway. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But all it takes in an auction is two people who want it. Yep. Right. That's all it takes. Just two people. Yeah. So if you have your house listed and two people want it, the price tends to be higher because everybody's 100%. trying to, you know, they want, they want the house. Mm -hmm. And it also, there's a, a mental thing that happens where you, and I think we've seen this in real estate really quite a bit the last couple of years, not, you know, when, when it was really, really hot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's coming back is where sometimes it became more about winning the bid and winning the house than it did about the house. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that? We saw some crazy stuff for yeah. sure. Um, you know, the mo I can't tell you all the motivations behind some of the offers I saw on these houses, or I even had to write sometimes for buyers, but there was just some insane offers. Uh, I, I know, especially up here, more on the north side of the city, I heard some crazy stuff. I mean, houses selling for hundred thousand dollars over list price. I mean, that isn't that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But what's cool is how amazing the Indiana market is, though, in general. How that even people that you know maybe had to use that cash over appraisal clause or whatever back a couple of years ago, how most of them are pretty much back up even with the market already because right. the market has appreciated so well. Right. So if there was a fear at all then of being upside down your home, I. Typically, that's not something that you have to worry about at this point. No. The market's caught up. And you can tell our market is really a good, solid market.
because the amount of out-of-state investors who come here to buy homes. You would not believe it, man. The daily calls I get from investors, either wanting me to help them buy homes or looking at the homes I have listed, it's it's a lot. Yeah, and that tells you how, how what a great market. They, they've picked out Indiana. Yeah, so I, I learned a little bit more about that because I had an investor from New York uh, contact me. They were wanting to buy multifamily homes. And they found out that, or they've done the calculations, and if you know, like, cap rates or anything, the Midwest, but specifically Indiana, has, like, the best cap rates of the whole nation right now. Oh, really? So that's why a lot of national money or outside of the state is wanting to come invest here because you can make the most on your money here. Right. So what what is cap rate for people who do not know? Yeah, so your cap rate is a calculation that figures out basically what your return on investment is going to be. It's a calculation of the price. Uh, minus the carrying cost and uh, of the property, uh, and then a, a division done. I forget the exact formula in my head, but it basically comes with a percentage. A lot of like investors are looking for usually a cap rate of a really good cap rates like seven to twelve percent. Um, anything outside of that, anything below that's not really worth investing in in most investor standpoints. But the problem is in most other states, Florida, New York, a lot of these other states right now that have been previously good investment states, their cap rates are down in like the twos to fives, and so it's just not worth their money. Yeah, because yeah. they've they've you know they've also increased in value tremendously, but it's been it's been tough on them. Yeah, switching subjects a little bit, actually a lot. There's so much misconception about what a real estate agent does, what the job is. What what do you you know? Do you, what are those misconceptions that you see, and and or or how how do you see the job? What is it that people hmm. should should do or or know? Misconceptions. I think one misconception. Getting into the business, the misconception of just having an a, a, um, eternal flow of business, that's uh, on the side of that. But on the consumer side, I would say one of the misconceptions is that, like, that we control the price of a home because that's just not the case. Kind of like what I was saying earlier, the buyers control that. And I feel like a lot of times that sellers get mad at agents when the agent has to come and talk about a price reduction when it's not really the agent's desire. The agent gets paid on a percentage of the home, the, the, the price of the home sold. So it only benefits the agent to, get, to sell it for the most money possible. Right. But the reality is when the market is saying your house is listed for too high and the market doesn't want to buy it, when they've got to come and be honest with that seller, it's not really that agent's fault. Now, the agent needs to have the responsibility of trying to price it right in the beginning as much as possible. But sometimes that's inevitable. So um, I, that's a big one, that the agent is fully responsible for the price a home sells for. Yeah. And obviously it's the market. And one of the big problems is if somebody overprices their home, at least that's what I've seen here recently, mm-hmm. homes are selling very quickly, but if you overprice your home, it doesn't sell. It will not. It will not. So something that I have found really important to, again, back to education, uh, it's really about education for me and listing appointments. I like to try to deal with as many of the the problems that I know normally come up as much as possible at the first meeting we have. Yes. And like I said, price reductions is a big thing. Unfortunately, that's a reality that has to happen sometimes. And um, I tell them in the very beginning, after we've gone through the whole comparative market analysis, we've, we've together figured out a price that we think is perfect for this house. But then we talk the worst case scenario because I want that out on the table. I want them to know, listen, it's not me that's deciding whether or not this house is going to sell. It's the market. We've got to be attentive to that. So I talk about a price reduction is usually the best way to get a house to sell if it's not selling. And I talked to them about the National Association of Realtors put together a while ago a kind of really good standard. And this is what I tell them is that I believe it's National Association of Realtors. Don't hold me to that. But I think that was who had put the study together. That if a home is on the market for two weeks 
and you get no activity on the house whatsoever, no showings, no offers, you are at least 10% high on your price. Really? You don't have wow. to have your house sit on the market for six months to know if you're overpriced. It takes two weeks to know in most normal markets. Now, now if we're talking 2007 or something, that's a whole different story. But in a normal market like we're in. Um, and if you're on the market for two weeks and you've had a few showings, but you had no offers or maybe some lowball offers, they say you're at least 5% high on your price. And so I find it so much easier to be on the same page and on the same team with a seller when I explain that to them right there. And then I say, hey, listen, here's the price we're going to try to sell this home for in the very beginning. I believe this is right according to the market, but the market is ever changing and we got to stay abreast of that. And so if two weeks from now, when I could, I call them every week and I give updates every week to my, to my clients on that two week call, I'm going to have to give you an update on, and I'm going to have to be truthful to you. You're hiring, hiring me to be truthful. I'm going to have to tell you what I think the market's telling us. And if we've had one of those conditions have been placed, I'm going to say, Hey, this is my, going to be my suggestion to you. You're in charge of this train. You're going to tell me whether or not we're going to do it. But I, and I walk through, through those numbers right then. I say, Hey, 10% of this price right now would be this. And so we have that conversation there and it usually helps a lot. It's nice that you set the example and what's going to happen up, uh, up front. Right. So they know what to expect. Well, and a lot of it, Again, a lot of my job is drawing out motivation because most of the people I work with don't know me. Um, we've just met over the phone usually. I don't work with a ton of people because I don't have that sphere that I know. And so there is a bit of, I feel like, that trust that you have to build slowly as you learn and work with these people, especially in that first meeting. And sometimes people are a little wary to really put their whole hand, their whole cards out on the table for their agent. And so a lot of my job is I've got to slowly learn that motivation and find out. So if if we get to a point to where houses we know a price is going to list at, but then reality is it's possible that we may have to make a 10% price reduction down the road. And I tell them, hey, this is that number that that may look like down the road. How would that affect you guys? Would you sell the house for that price? And if they say absolutely not, well, then we know that where's the real motivation? Are we moving just for the money? Or are we moving because we need to move? Right. Definitely a conversation that's yeah, important to have. That makes sense. So if somebody does want to list their house or they want to buy a house, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me is give me a call. And my number is 317 746 zero six one six or you can text me at that same number three one seven seven four six zero six one six i also answer my emails uh, promptly that email is gvalu spelled g v a l e u at callcarpenter.com and to get a hold of Ian or I, go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317-672-1938. It's 317-672-1938. And follow us for more Indies Real Estate Gurus. And Garrett, we'd like to thank you for your time today. Uh, it's been very... Uh, educational. Educational. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of Thanks fun. Thanks for joining Awesome. Us. Appreciate it. Hey, reminder, if you know any friends, family, or coworkers looking to buy, sell, refinance, contact Rick or I, and we'll be more than happy to help you. Branch NMLS number 33041. Rick Ripma's NMLS number 6645890. Ian Arnold's NMLS number is 1995469. Equal housing opportunity. Some restrictions apply.